Hi, this is Sean Blackshear, life insurance broker for First Family Life Allegiance. Did you know that life insurance not only will cover you if you pass away, but it's also used to build a legacy for your family. It can also help you generate income. It can protect your mortgage and it can cover you with any kind of medical affliction. Please contact me at 314-374-3412. Or please drop me a message on on Facebook and like the page at First Family Life Allegiance or go to my website, firstfamilylifeallegiance.com and schedule an appointment and I'll call you at a time that works for you. Welcome to Title VII, the movement, hashtag the right to sue, the podcast that speaks to workplace discrimination as it pertains to the controversial Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that covers both state and federal laws that outline five major protected classes. Title VII prohibits employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. I'm Paige, and this is my co-host, Griffin. Hello and welcome. Please subscribe to this podcast and make sure you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You may also reach us at rwtv2020 at gmail.com. Our aim is to present employees and employers with in-person and written personal testimonies, along with case study information citing relatable circumstances and similar situations that will empower whosoever wills with the capability to execute a compelling need to have Title VII law enforced to defend their civil rights in the workplace, helping to eliminate hostilities due to discrimination that results in racism. Our mission is to make impact now, in real time, Under Title VII, an employer may not discriminate with regard to privilege of employment. The classes individuals stated are considered protected under the Title VII law because of the history of unequal treatment. It's the professed mission of the EEOC's Office of General Counsel, the OGC, to conduct litigation on behalf of the Commission to obtain relief for victims of employment discrimination and ensure compliance with the statutes that the EEOC is charged with enforcing. The Commission's vocation is to function as a national law firm working collaboratively to maximize its impact on employment discrimination by resolving lawsuits, brought on behalf of groups of individuals or even one person, I myself having been such a person. With that being said, for many people, discrimination is an everyday reality. We are talking about institutional discrimination, which involves discriminatory practices, laws, and procedures within certain companies and social institutions. We are talking about permissible practices and procedures that cause discriminatory consequences. The topic is, and will always be, workplace discrimination. In the following case, taking place in Louisville, Kentucky, Walmart, Inc. will pay $20 million, stop using a pre-employment test, and furnish other relief to settle a company-wide sex-based hiring discrimination lawsuit filed by the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Council, the EEOC. 
According to the EEOC's lawsuit, Walmart conducted a physical ability test, known as the PAT, as a requirement for applicants to be hired as order fillers at Walmart's grocery distribution centers nationwide. The EEOC said that PAT disproportionately excludes female applicants from jobs as grocery order fillers. This alleged conduct violates Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Again, the law prohibits employment discrimination based on sex, including the use of tests administered to all applicants and employees, regardless of sex, causing a discriminatory effect or impact on persons of a particular sex or any other demographic category. Employers using such tests must prove the practices are necessary for the safe and efficient performance of the specific jobs. Even if this necessity is proven, such tests are prohibited if alternative practices are shown that can achieve the employer's objectives, but have a less discriminatory effect. The EEOC filed suit in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Kentucky, London Division, EEOC versus Walmart, Inc., on August 3, 2020, after first attempting to reach a settlement through its pre-litigation voluntary conciliation process. The parties reached an agreement and filed a joint motion to approve a consent decree that same day. The motion was approved by the court and the consent degree was entered on September 9, 2020. The consent agreement or settlement resolves a dispute between two parties without admission of guilt. A consent decree is a court order that establishes an enforceable plan for sustainable reform. Typically, consent decrees are detailed documents that include specific requirements and deadlines for action. The consent decree requires Walmart to cease all physical ability testing currently being used for purposes of hiring grocery distribution center order fillers. The decrees also requires Walmart to pay $20 million in a settlement fund to pay lost wages to women across the country who were denied grocery order filler positions because of the testing. Michelle Ezel the EEOC Indianapolis District Director said one of the EEOC's six national priorities is eliminating barriers in recruitment and hiring. Employers need to ensure their testing and screening practices do not discriminate against any group. The parties were able to reach an early resolution of this case due to Walmart's willingness to engage in settlement discussions. Distribution center jobs provide good career opportunities for women when sex-based barriers to hiring for those jobs are removed, said the EEOC regional attorney, Kenneth L. Byrd. Walmart operates 44 grocery distribution centers nationwide. Elimination of the PET will allow more women to obtain a relatively high-paying entry-level position at one of these centers, a necessary first step toward advancement. 
added EEOC senior trial attorney Amy L. McFerrin. The Labor and Employment Report, a management workplace blog that provides information and insights for employers, reports on the latest developments in labor and employment law issues, closely tracks new laws and regulations, federal and state court employment, labor decisions, HR, human resources, trends, actions from relevant government agencies, including the National Labor Relations Board, the EEOC, and the Department of Labor, have gotten my attention with the topic. This topic was recently posted in the EEOC Employment Discrimination Harassment HR Compliance Laws Regulations and Litigations Digest. We're going to pre-use excerpts from the EEOC's Quarterly Digest of Equal Employment Opportunity Law. In addition to summaries of recent EEOC decisions and federal court opinions, each digest contains an article that provides some insight into the EEOC's position on a particular topic. The articles are targeted toward federal agencies, but they offer private employers a roadmap as to the EEOC's thinking on religious discrimination, remedies for discrimination, comparing harassment prevention to crime prevention, and new types of race discrimination, among other things. In a recent article, there's a new phrase, claims of harassment and the problem of fragmentation. According to the EEOC, fragmentation is the breaking up of a complainant's legal claim into separate factual allegations or incidents. It occurs in the context of hostile work environment, harassment claims, which are based on the cumulative effect of individual acts over a period of time. The EEOC states that fragmentation can result from a failure to distinguish between the claim that a complainant is raising, that is the alleged unlawful employment practice or policy, and the evidence or factual information the complainant is offering in support of his or her claim. When an employer identifies each piece of factual evidence as a separate and distinct claim, the employer fails to recognize the underlying issue of a pattern of ongoing discrimination or harassment. The EEOC, however, chooses to address the issue of fragmentation in the context of limitations periods. For example, in the federal public sector, government employees must bring their complaints of discrimination to an EEOC counselor within 45 days of the alleged discriminatory event. Employees in the private sector have 300 days in which to file a charge of discrimination with the EEOC. But the EEOC cautions that complainants often raise factual incidents that occur outside the limitations period. However, employers should not ignore them. As long as an incident occurred within the limitations period, the complainant is timely and the employer should consider at least as background all relevant evidence offered in support of a timely raised claim, even if the incidents occurred outside of the limitation period. 
Many employers know a defense to a hostile work environment claim is that they, the employer, promptly investigated the complaint and prevented any further harassment. But doing an investigation may not be a defense if an employer looks at the reported incidents in a piecemeal format rather than holistically characterizing the situation by the treatment of the whole person, taking into account mental and social factors rather than just the symptoms of the problem. The EEOC specifically observes that agencies and employers often dismiss fragmented individual incidents raised in support of a claim of harassment and hostile work environment. It may be because the employer finds that the individual incident was too trivial or insignificant, not severe enough to them, and the complainant didn't suffer any harm to a term, condition, or privilege of employment. Or the employer finds that the complainant was untimely. The EEOC cautions that this approach fails to recognize the continuing pattern of alleged harassing conduct or the ongoing nature of such a claim. If an employer engages in fragmentation and finds no harassment and the employee ends up before the EEOC, the EEOC warns employers that it will look at both the language of the complaint and the supporting information. The language of the complaint references the allegations which should be well-written, concise, and easily readable, alleges the facts sufficient to support the claims and properly pleads meritous valid causes of action that will likely succeed and will survive a motion to dismiss. EOC says that it will address fragmentation and harassment even if a complainant did not clearly characterize the claim as a harassment or hostile work environment claim. They ordered a number of recent commission decisions addressing fragmentation, from which we can draw some lessons. In a number of them, the employers failed to consider incidents that occurred outside the limitations period in connection with those that were within the period. In one case, the EEOC noted that the employer treated some incidents as claims of desperate treatment and others as a part of the claim of harassment, but failed to view them all together as part of the overall hostile environment claim. In another case, the employer did not consider incidents that were reported after the initial complaint. And in several other cases, the employer failed to identify a pattern of harassment because the incidents varied in type. So, essentially, the EEOC is cautioning employers. It can be frustrating when an employee brings forward a litany of complaints that appear trivial and unrelated, but the EEOC may consider all of them together to find a hostile environment. So you said essentially the EEOC is cautioning employers and it can be frustrating when an employer brings forward a litany of complaints that appear trivial and unrelated, but the EEOC may consider all of them together to find a hostile environment. My comment would be what took so long. And so if someone's working with 
other employees and they're digging a ditch for another employee, why would it take so long? And prior to that, we discussed the fact that when an employer identifies each piece of factual evidence as a separate and distinct claim, the employer fails to recognize the underlying issue of a pattern of ongoing discrimination or harassment, fails to or knowingly does not acknowledge. And too often we find that they knew, but they knowingly do not acknowledge. I've heard it passed off, I've experienced it personally, it's passed off to be a personality conflict. Right. Right. It's a personality conflict in that situation. But what took so long? Right. Thousands and thousands of cases. What has taken so long? But we're grateful for that step forward. We're grateful that we're going to get a step forward in these cases. And so... And that's extremely important because, once again, it goes to the recognizing the importance of patterns and establishing patterns of behavior. And that takes a length of time sometimes to recognize it and to be able to document it in enough to the point to where it can be proven that it is attentional harassment that is occurring in a hostile environment that's being created. It doesn't always happen in one incident. It doesn't always happen within the time frame that is allotted to bring forth a formal complaint. Also, we must realize we don't know that person's psychological state of mind and why they are saying these things or behaving this way with an individual. It may be something outside of the workplace that triggers them to come in with hostility and anger and take it out on other people. We don't know what's going on in that person's mind. Therefore, you have to recognize that there is a pattern and watch for the pattern and consider the person's total pattern that's taken place that they have then let be demonstrated publicly towards whoever they are creating this type of hostile harassment. And so it's very, really exciting to see that it's acknowledged from the EEOC that employers should consider the pattern, whether it is outside of the limitations period or not, whether it is at the workplace or outside the workplace, consider holistically what the behavior of the perpetrator is. The moment you said trigger, my mind immediately went to trigger, as in gun triggers. Mm -hmm. And we see it more and more and more on a large scale. It's not confined to an office of three or four people. We've seen it play itself out in major corporations such as Coors. Yes. Mass shootings. The report has come forth basically saying that these shootings were due to some type of discriminatory actions toward the perpetrator. And so we're very mindful as we do these podcasts 
that we are dealing with a very relevant, a very relevant topic. Again, to serve as a wake-up call. Wake up. We must be able to identify workplace discrimination and the problems that they create. When people are discriminated against in the workplace, they're in between their livelihood and their mental stability. They're trying to maintain mental stability to function and and operate in what would be acceptable behavior in the workplace. But they're not treated in a manner that should be acceptable in the workplace. Oftentimes we find that it's premeditated behavior on the parts of the perpetrators. And so the victim has this type of behavior projected toward them until they become the perpetrator. And then it's too late. It's too late. In a case closer to home, Tariano Porter, reporting for the Kansas City Star, reports that the legal bill for Spire Energy has come due. Now the public utility company wants to increase residential service rates to recoup the money, the money that it spent on legal fees while defending the multi-million dollar discrimination lawsuit that it lost. Question is, should the public pay more for natural gas because Spire was found guilty of discrimination in violation of Title VII? The answer, of course, is no. And if losing the case cuts into profits, that's between management and shareholders, or it should be. The Missouri Office of Public Counsel, which advocates on behalf of utility consumers throughout the state, has recommended that the Public Service Commission knock down Spire's attempt to pass on that cost and other costs to consumers. Their report said, rate payers should not be charged for Spire officers and managers to go on sporting events, 14 concerts, and have parties. Rate payers should not have to pay legal fees, legal expenses for successful discrimination lawsuits. These are costs caused by Spire's management alone. The plaintiff worked for the former Missouri Gas Energy Company from 2004 until last year. St. Louis-based LeCleve Gas purchased MGE in 2013 and in 2016 rebranded it as Spire. The plaintiff, Magahi, sued Spire in 2016 for workplace discrimination and won. Last year, the Missouri Supreme Court upheld the St. Louis jury's verdict that awarded Magahi $8.5 million. The second lawsuit for discrimination and retaliation was settled out of court. The case was resolved amicably in a peaceful manner, said a spokesperson for Spire. Magahi, however, is prevented from speaking about the case per a confidentiality agreement. A statement from the company read, the legal fees in our rate review include a portion of the expenses for a settled lawsuit and the settlement payments are not included. Privately owned public utilities such as Spire which provides natural gas service to about 1.17 million customers in Missouri, have an obligation to the people they serve. Daniel Magahi has already sued her employer. 
Spire Energy for workplace discrimination. She won, and now she's taking the utility giant to court again. After years of litigation and mudslinging and being on the wrong end of a multi-million dollar lawsuit, one would think Spire would clean up its act. And so the response was apparently not. The Missouri Supreme Court cleared the latest legal hurdle that was preventing McGahee from collecting more than $8.5 million in damages and legal fees stemming from the racial discrimination and retaliation lawsuit she filed in 2016. The St. Joseph native is now owed more than $10 million with interest, according to her legal team. McGahee said there was a total of 11 judges who ruled in her favor, based on evidence introduced at trial. Her attorneys filed a separate lawsuit against Spire. McGahee claims Spire failed to accommodate her chronic medical condition, discriminated against her based on race, age, and sex, defamed her in the media after the original verdict, and retaliated by denying her promotions. She's seeking a jury trial. Toxic work environment at Spire. Magahi, 49, has Crohn's disease, an anti-inflammatory condition. She wants to share her story about how she stared hate in the face and still has to fight for respect. The single mother of one worked for the energy company since 2004. Half of that time has been spent battling high-paid lawyers in court, intent on destroying her reputation at the behest and command of corporate bigwigs. The nightmare began for McGahee in 2008 when she transferred from the Kansas City Utility Office, then known as the Missouri Gas Energy, to another location where she lives in St. Joseph. The shorter commute eased the burden of being a single parent. The St. Louis-based Laclede Gas Company purchased MGE in 2013 and in 2016 rebranded it as Spire. In 2013, McGahee filed an official complaint with higher-ups at MGE, informing them that she was being subjected to a toxic work environment in St. Joseph. McGahee said, they dragged my reputation through the mud. She testified that retaliation against her followed almost immediately. She was transferred back to the MGE's Kansas City office, making it harder for her to guide her son through school and school activities. She also testified during the 2018 trial that co-workers made her life a living hell. A trainer referred to her using the N-word, while others questioned her intelligence. On one occasion, McGahee testified she was accosted by three male colleagues in a conference room and berated with insults. You're a nothing and a nobody, one of the men screamed, according to court records. Spire's meaningless defense claiming the incidents occurred before MGE's sale to Laclede was an obvious attempt to distance the company from illegal behavior. I repeat, illegal behavior. Question is, but why continue to drag the case out? Spire unsuccessfully fought the St. Louis jury's unanimous verdict at every step. All appeals have been exhausted. The caption was, tough lady passed over for promotion. McGahee once worked at Jackson County Family Court and for combat 
the anti-violence initiative of the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office. The plaintiff has a background as a paralegal and completed a master's degree in business management in 2015. She is a tough lady who has fought through some difficult times, said her attorney, Sanal Bhatia. She was passed over for numerous promotions before and after her trial. Some of the people named in the first complaint are still employed in prominent positions with Spire. The ordeal is a testament to Magahi's resolve. She never thought to quit. She had a teenage son to take care of. She endured the abuse inside the office and in the courtroom and came out victorious. We hope every employee will take this opportunity to think about what's fair and right, said E.E. E. Keenan, another lawyer representing Magahi. McKinnon said, it's not about press releases. McGahey alleges in the latest lawsuit that the office where she works is still predominantly white and several employees who made racist or despairing comments about her are still employed there as well. McGahey marches ahead with the clear message to black women and other minorities facing hate and discrimination in the workplace. She says, stand your ground. Keep your faith, document everything, and keep your circle of family and friends tight. And so we applaud. <laughs> Absolutely. She said it all. She said it all. Stand said. your ground. Keep your faith. Document everything. And keep your circle of family and friends tight. Been there and done that. Yes. <laughs> Been there and done that. It proves, it proves to be the victory in your situation. Yes, when all is said and done, you're going to need that documentation. You're going to need the endurance. You're going to have to have the mindset that you know who you are, you know what has happened to you, and you can articulate it. You can put it on paper. You can present it. And those lawyers who have the voice and the wherewithal to stand on your behalf will be able to present your case. Undoubtedly, they will be able to give a vision just from your documentation as to what you've experienced, what it is that, again, that you've had to endure. Endurance is going to be such a great um, component for the person that is being subjected to this type of behavior. You will have to have a mindset that says that you can endure and come out victoriously. You, you can't respond doing evil with evil. No. That's not going to, it's not going to benefit you in the end. I've seen people try to render evil for evil and it's as simple as two wrongs can never make a right. She says that she was referred to using the N-word, been there, done that. I've had that experience on more than I've had that experience on more than one occasion in the workplace. Nevertheless, I consider myself victorious having endured. And so I would say to anyone who finds themselves in any predicament where you're being discriminated against, any type of harassment, report the harassment 
report it as soon as you can. That is your covering and your protection. At least you find yourself committing an illegal act yourself and being treated in a manner in which people who commit illegal acts are treated. And so having said that, we're going to discuss takeaways. Yes, so we have our takeaways for this lesson we have today. We know that employment discrimination isn't always illegal. In fact, you are free to discriminate against people who come in late, people who are unqualified, and people who insist on wearing socks and sandals. Why are employment discrimination cases increasing so rapidly? Well, we have four theories on that. One, increased awareness. If you don't know something is illegal, you won't file a legal complaint about it. The original discrimination laws were passed more than 50 years ago, and yet not everyone knows their rights even today. As more people learn, they can recognize when a boss or coworker behaves illegally. Additionally, as employers increase training programs designed to prevent discrimination and harassment, people recognize harassment they faced in the past. Increased awareness doesn't indicate an increase in actual bad behavior. It merely indicates that more people are aware of their rights. Hopefully, as awareness increases, more people will understand their responsibilities as well. And actual cases will decrease over time. It's what we are here for. Two, increased coverage. This goes along with increased awareness. As people see reports of discrimination in the news, they realize they are not alone and there is something they can do about it. We find frequent articles in outlets such as the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, and other mainstream media. So the concept of discrimination is in the public eye. This is also bolstered by the fact that diversity, inclusion, and movements such as Black Lives Matter are in the news every day. If you are reading these headlines every day, even if you don't read the articles, you can infer that discrimination is everywhere and it brings up questions. For instance, if it's racial discrimination to have a certain dress code at a restaurant, is it also racial discrimination to have a certain dress code at your office? You may not have considered that as a possibility before. The other thoughts these headlines spark is the idea of a big financial gain. The Missouri prison worker who won $1.5 million is not a usual case. Most discrimination cases don't result in big payouts. But if you think that you might have a big winner of a case, you, you may be more willing to file a lawsuit. Then there's social media. In the past, you could complain to a few friends, complain to HR, and maybe hire a lawyer. And that was it. Today, if you can get a tweet or a Facebook post to go viral, you have a huge audience. Everyone can become their own public relations firm today. 
You can find out about harassment and discrimination cases that happened across the country or the world to people you have never met and knew nothing about until a viral post landed in your social media feeds. This can encourage people to feel like they are not alone. It can also put pressure on companies and organizations to change their behavior. Employer panic. Employers are reading the same headlines and attending the same training classes that employees do. The number one reason for a discrimination lawsuit in 2019, as has been cited, was retaliation. Illegal retaliation occurs when someone complains about discrimination or other illegal behavior, and the company punishes the complainer. Employers know that they can face serious consequences for violating discrimination laws. In an attempt to make the problem go away, they can retaliate against employees by punishing them for complaining. For instance, Karen complains that her boss, Mike, is harassing her, and the company moves her to a new position with less prestige, or Javier's boss tells him to stop speaking Spanish on break. When Javier refuses, his boss gives him a lower performance rating. Heather goes on a maternity leave, and when she comes back, she finds that her boss has given all of her best clients to other employees. All of these are examples of retaliation, and companies often retaliate in panic or denial. The idea is that if you can just shut up the complainer, the problem will go away. Sometimes this works as people would rather find a new job and leave than fight it out with a poor employer. But if they decide to sue, the employer gets hit with a retaliation charge. When should you sue? If you've been illegally discriminated against, you certainly have the right to your day in court. You can file a complaint with the EEOC or you can hire an employment attorney. But keep in mind that winning an employment discrimination lawsuit is difficult and expensive. Of those cases that make it to court, the employee wins in only 1% of the cases. While that sounds dreadful and hopeless, keep in mind that most cases settle out of court. Many are sealed, so you have no idea how much money, if any, the employee received. Huge sums are not common, and you have to pay your lawyer as well, unless the EEOC takes your case. Cases can also take years to work their way through the courts, during which time you may find yourself under stress. It's often logical to just walk away. However, this does not mean that you should let harassment and discrimination go unchecked. The bottom line for the takeaways Everyone needs to make his or her own choice, but it does mean that you need to be careful about how you act in the workplace. People won't stand for illegal discriminatory behavior in the workplace as much as in times past anymore, and that's a good thing. That concludes this episode of Title VII The Movement Hashtag The Right to Sue podcast. Thank you for listening. And please remember to subscribe to this podcast and make sure you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also reach us at rwtv2020 at gmail.com.